Hello, friends. I am not able to be in the studio today, so Kyle, our bearded beast, has put something special together for you. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Don't forget to give him heaven this week. Here you go. You know, there have been many times I've had conversations on airplanes and in restaurants, and, and I wished I had my SDR friends with me listening over my shoulder, so to speak. And that's for a couple of reasons. First, you know, the discussions were so interesting to me. I'm sure they'd fascinate you too. Second, some conversations strike me as being archetypical STR interactions. And what I mean by that is they're classical examples of the STR ambassador approach, where an accurately informed mind, that's knowledge, is joined with an artful method, what we call wisdom, and an attractive manner. This is the character component, knowledge, wisdom, character. Now, the following conversations with an atheist, uh, his name is Ian, is a, a very pleasant regular caller to our radio show, are an opportunity for you to listen in as Ian and I go back and forth on a number of controversial subjects, objective morality, hell, the cosmological argument, and the existence of God, the historical Jesus, that kind of thing. I've often said that sometimes the skill of being an ambassador is caught more than taught. And I hope that in listening over my shoulder during my conversations with Ian, you'll catch, in a little more vivid way, STR's ambassador approach. I hope you enjoy these conversations. Let's go to Gainesville for our first caller. Ian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cocoa, for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad you called. Um, so last week I was listening to your show, the first time I'd ever listened to it, and you made some some points about if uh, where does morality come from, and this week you're talking exactly about what I wanted to talk about. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Um, so I would agree with you that uh, objective morality runs into a problem because at best, you're going to make claims like I have a, a moral objection to whatever, and until you uh, can communicate in a language that both parties understand, i.e., if I'm talking to you, I have to talk to you using your understanding of morality to have it make sense to you. Otherwise, I'm just saying, I am morally outraged. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Um, however, how you can kind of unify a perspective of objective morality is by having a common goal. So if we all decide together that we want to live in a society wherein, you know, there's fewer traffic accidents and people follow the rules and, mm -hmm. you know, I can live in... Now that we have a goal in mind, now we can use uh, a, an objective understanding um, to accomplish that goal within... Yes, yeah. yeah, so I I agree. Um, you're talking about consequentialism now, and consequentialism is a little different than morality. Over the, There are times when they overlap, but I, I'll let you finish, and then I'll respond more thoroughly. Sure. Unless um, you had more, if you didn't have more to say. No, uh, well, that's, it's just to say that because people are deciding what it is that our, our goal happens to be, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a subjective morality. It's not, it's not, in a classical sense, it's not objective because the morality is not coming from an, an outside source. It's 
we, the community, is deciding yeah. what our goal has to be. I would say, in a classical sense, it, it, what you just described is not even morality. What it is is simply an agreement about how to accomplish an end most effectively, and the end can be anything in, in, involved. Uh, generally, when the end is human flourishing, it enters into the area of morality, but then it is not just a collectivist notion. That is, well, whatever we decide is what we think is best for human flourishing. Uh, let me give you some illustration just to make the distinction between the two here. I, and I had a call about a month ago uh, on this same thing, where one atheist said he can ground uh, morality, or you can get you can get uh, an is an ought from an is. And basically, he was talking about accomplishing some goal, and he said, if you really want to, uh, I'm now I don't remember what it was, but let me just see if I can think up a, a, a good example. Since I was fishing last week, um, let me let me use it this way: if you really want to catch more fish then you have to use a stronger fishing line because if you use a thread the fish are going to break off and you're not and you're not going to get any fish so since we all want to catch more fish to eat then we and watch my word here we ought to use a stronger fishing line and uh now the ought there is not a moral ought. It isn't like we're morally obliged to do it. It's a consequentialist ought. And what I mean by that is if we want to get the consequence we're after, then this is the appropriate means to accomplish that. All right? So we certainly can talk about good in that sense and and tie it to kind of a, a corporate goal like you just described. But when you look at the things that people talk about morally good and bad, it's really clear that there's a whole bunch of things that are not that consequentialist kind of enterprise. When when the hit when when Hitler, for example, uh, or take any kind of uh, ethnic cleansing, um, because maybe Hitler's too strong of a you know example, but just take any kind of ethnic cleansing. I worked with Cambodians in 1982 after the Cambodian Holocaust with the Khmer Rouge. You know, there was a kind of cleansing going on there, you know. But um, in their view, they were cleansing for the good of society, all right? And if you get rid of one kind of person and you keep the other kind of person, then a certain type of flourishing will accomplish, will be accomplished. So you could have argued then that as long as their means, killing people of a certain sort, accomplish their end, getting a better society according to their definition, then they were doing a good thing by the definition that you were offering. But clearly, even if that were the case, then people could say, yes, but what they were doing wasn't good. And now we're using the word in a different sense, in a, in a moral sense, that regardless of how utilitarian it was to a particular end, it still wasn't a morally good thing. And that's the kind of thing that needs explaining, not these other, in a sense, consequentialist notions about how do you get the end you want to get. Uh, this is a classical me- classic means-to-end issue. And there are some ends that are not justified by the means that are employed to get there, and that's where the genuine moral equation comes in. Okay, well, using the, the example of the Khmer Rouge, right, mm-hmm. what was it about the ethnic minority that was that was the justification for for the clean, for the cleansing. Well, the, it, it, oh, did you want me to answer that? 
Well, it it was just to say that really I know the answer. So, but it wasn't a. It was to establish an enemy uh, that the group can then attack to solidify the group so that the Khmer Rouge obtained power. It wasn't... No, that, that isn't the reason. Khmer Rouge already okay. had power. Uh, there was an ideological thing going on, and so they're trying to establish a, an agrarian communist revolution with rice as the monetary base, and everybody's out of the cities. And so if you, and in order to, to accomplish this, you had to produce a certain type of ideologically sound person, a kind of politically correct person, basically. And those who were opposed to that enterprise were just executed. And so the idea was to get uh, ideological unanimity to accomplish the goal that they had for a great Khmer Empire that uh, that would, uh, you know, that would prosper now according to these communist uh, ideas. And uh, one could argue that the methods that they used were appropriate to that end, but that doesn't make them they were good to that end, but that doesn't make them morally right. That would be my point. I, I understand your point. Um, it's just to say that what that is. Uh, first of all, that's the that's the opinion of of one person. I want to stay in power, and I, I would still argue that the reason why he executed people, as opposed to just letting people go was to solidify that power. But well, I, well, uh, this is a matter of fact here, so I just want to know, are, are, are you a student of that period of time and those people and what happened to them that you could say this? Or are you just uh, speculating? Um, it's, I, I'm a student of, of history and not, I know about this particular time period and these, these events, you know, I'm not, it's just to say that that's how you gain control, and that's how you hold control. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. really work to be to be a soft touch and let people go. No, I understand but, that, but uh, okay. Well, then. Well, it, that's, that's a side issue, but it in, is in somewhat. Event. I'm just a little uncomfortable with the kind of dismissal because you have okay. a prior understanding of what was going on there, even when you talk to somebody who knows something about the details of it. But that's okay. Go ahead. Okay. Well, well, my apologies, but um, in any event. Uh, you're right. It isn't the main point. The main point, right. are we talking about simply a consequentialist issue of good here, which is what you seem to be developing, or are we talking about a deep, a genuine morality that regardless of whether the end is accomplished in an efficient way, there are some ends that are just plain old wrong? Well, let me, let me try another way. Okay. I would say that there are, how many different types of Christianity are there? Well, it depends how you divide them up, but uh, more than one, that's for sure. More than one. Okay, so... If you're talking uh, about denominations or broadly put, go ahead. Right. Um, so each of those those groups have an understanding of what they're... how best to praise God, mm-hmm. how best to interpret, you know, the Scripture, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so the... The goal all happens to be the same, but how they, they represent the goal, uh, how they, they carry it out, might be a little bit different in terms. And so each group 
has their own personal understanding of morality as mm. a result of that. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say they have their own personal understanding of morality. They have a different understanding of way of accomplishing the goal, but that doesn't okay. answer the question of whether the goal is accomplished or not. There are lots of people who believe in God and they're trying to pursue God in right. their own way. It doesn't follow from that that they're all equally legitimate and right, and there is no right way to do it. It could be that a lot of people who are pursuing God, and even Christians in their own particular way, end up not getting to God at all because there is a correct way to do it within limits and an incorrect, and they might be doing it the incorrect way. I mean, that certainly is possible. There may be an absolute truth with regards to God and what He wants, just like there may be an absolute truth with regards to morality. Well, and that's that's kind of the crux of it, is how do you know uh what is is actually accomplishing that goal of communing with God okay well that is a completely different question you know and this what this show in general is given to demonstrate but and there are lots of arguments I could put on the table we don't mm-hmm. have time for that right now but just because you haven't answered the question how do you know doesn't mean that we're justified in just dismissing the 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 idea that there is a thing to know that there is a right answer um, the my my point last week had to do with relativism, right. and if relativism if 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 relativism is true, well then there is no right answers to any of those things, and one person's answer is as good as the other, uh, right. insofar as they're simply expressing their own preferences. But the, the the real question is based on what we know about reality. Is it the case that one that that nobody's there is no objective morality? I, I don't think that's the case. By the same token, there are lots. I think there's a state of affairs as, as far as the physical world is concerned, and science is meant to figure that out. But scientists disagree all the time on things. That doesn't mean that there is no way that the world is simply because they have dif- disagreements. There are tools that we can use to find those things out. There, there. I would agree with you in, in that regard. I'm just saying that. You know, if you if you happen to think that by singing and using organ music, let's say, uh, in praising God, that that helps you commune better, that that's uh, just as valid as you know being being a Quaker and and having going to the meeting and sitting in together with the community and well, not it, even talking at well, all. I guess what he, what uh, the issue here is, Ian, is what what do you mean by valid? If valid to the individual, sure, but if you're if the goal is to try to please God, and I'm not taking a side on this particular issue, but if the goal is to please God and God hates organ music, (laughs) then even if you're having a great time playing your organ to God, you're not accomplishing your goal. And that's the difference between having an objective thing in view and having just a subjective thing you're satisfying. If it's merely subjective, people do whatever they want. It doesn't matter in the end run. But if your goal is to try to accomplish a particular kind of thing that's an objective thing, you better have a you better be right about what that objective thing is and, and your route to it, or else you're going to be missing uh, arguably something really uh, vitally important about life. Wonderful. Thank you very much. For, I was going to your... give you the last word, Ian, and it was a nice last word. You said wonderful. I appreciate that. No worries. Thank all, you very much. All, all the best. Hope you call again. All right. Bye-bye. Do you have a passion to train people in apologetics, but you don't know where to start? You may be interested in starting an STR Outpost. STR Outposts are local communities of Christians seeking answers to the hard questions about Christianity. Each outpost is led by a qualified director who trains others with STR content and curriculum 
in their local church. By becoming an Outpost Director, you will be equipped with the content and coaching you need to lead your own outpost. We currently have more than 60 outposts across the country, and we're adding more each month. If you're interested in learning more about starting an outpost or you want to find a current outpost in your area, visit str.org outposts. You can also email me, Robbie Lashua, at outposts at str.org. Hey friends, would you like to be encouraged throughout your week with timely, relevant content meant to bolster your knowledge, wisdom, and character? Or maybe you have a desire to be connected with other like-minded Christians from around the world. If so, then you need to follow Stand to Reason on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Not only will you be able to interact with other Stand to Reason followers, but you'll also stay up to date and informed on our latest resources and events. In our current culture, it's important to have something of value to break up your social media feed. So just visit str.org and find the links to all of our social media platforms at the bottom of the homepage. Have you ever wondered how Stand to Reason is able to produce fresh, accessible content each week? We rely on generous donors so that we can provide you with the tools and tactics you need to be an effective ambassador for Christ. If you've benefited from this podcast or any of our donor-provided resources, including our apps, blog posts, articles, and short videos, consider making a financial contribution to Stand to Reason today. Just visit str.org donate to show your financial support. It has been an honor providing you with a host of free resources for more than 27 years to help you give voice to the Christian worldview. Help us continue by making a financial gift today at str.org slash donate. All right, let's go to the phones. And uh, this is Ian in uh, Gainesville, Florida. Ian, welcome to the show. Glad to, to have you on board, first off. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Uh, congratulations on 18 years. Thank you very much. Ian, no have, you, have you called in before? Yes, sir. I called in about a month ago. Yeah, okay. Melinda said she thought you had. Well, welcome back. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, let me start by saying that I, I appreciate that uh, even though that you and I may disagree on, on certain issues, that we, we can have a, a polite discussion and sure. kind of air those grievances out. And I have a challenge for you. Okay. All right. Are you ready for a challenge? <laughs> That's why I'm on the air, sir. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, so the concept of hell makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, So just so that we're both on the same page, I would like to start by asking you the question, who goes to hell? People who deserve it. (laughs) Um, Okay. I mean, do you want me to say more? I don't mean to be glib. I'm I'm trying to be terse, though, because I know you're giving me the challenge, so I'm being careful about how I respond. And uh, the the answer is, uh, okay, hell is a place where justice is ultimately accomplished okay. that those who 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 do wrong by in rebellion against the sovereign of the universe uh, are banished forever from his presence okay um, would a person that so only through belief in Jesus is someone redeemed from hell. Do I have that understanding correct? Yeah, they do. You do, but I, I have to add something because okay. just saying that much it kind of leaves a false impression. A pardon is offered by the sovereign, 
for all the crimes committed against him. And it is made possible through what he did actually by becoming a man himself and taking the punishment on himself that we deserve. We can either accept the pardon and therefore receive clemency, or we can deny the pardon and then stand in the dock as guilty and pay the penalty ourselves. That's the choice. Okay. But it's it's a it's a, a cognitive decision. You know, people choose to be pardoned and and if they if they accept that, if they uh, allow for that, that pardon, if they, you know, prostrate themselves and accept Jesus, then, exactly. then they'll Yes, that, that's kind of different ways of putting it, except Jesus. But essentially it is, it is to trust in the provision that God has made through the person of Jesus. And so that's a way of accepting the pardon. It's believing in it. And when I mean believing here, you probably know from listening before, I don't mean just men, mental assent, though certainly that is part of it. You have to believe that Jesus is able to save you before you believe in him to save you. It's okay. kind of like when I, I just got off a plane yesterday, and so I, I believed that the plane could bring me here, but I didn't exercise trust or belief in it in a certain sense until I got on the plane. And so, yes, that's what's necessary. One has to put their trust in Christ and bend their knee, and that's what prostrate 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 themselves before God after fashion. I think you're right about that. There's a humility that's involved. And if they don't do that, then they receive what they have coming to them. Okay. So people that are, that have not been exposed to Christianity or people that are are mentally incapable of accepting Christianity, what happens to those people? Well, let's take the second case first. Um, A person who is mentally incapable, um, I would take to be someone who does not have the appropriate moral machinery to even distinguish between good and bad, and therefore they would not have any crimes against God because they are not developmentally capable of even uh, rebelling against him in that way. So if we're talking about somebody who is genuinely mentally incapable of knowing the difference between good and bad, then they are not held responsible for that. And that might be because they have a congenital defect, and even as an adult they can't do that. Or it might be because they die because they're, before they're even old enough to be be able to uh, to make that kind of distinction. So I don't. My conviction is God is not going to hold somebody responsible for for conduct that they had that they 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 are developmentally incapable of knowing was immoral. Um, however, those who are capable of doing that, they are going to be held accountable for their behaviors. And, and, and you just asked then the second part of the question about what are the, about those who never heard. And my response is going to be that those people are going to be judged by God justly according to their behaviors. And this is why I want to just slip something in that you may not have heard me say before, but I think it is meant to correct a misconception that some people have, including Christians, that people do not go to hell because they did not believe in Jesus. That would be like saying somebody died because he didn't go to the doctor. People die because a disease kills them, which might have been prevented had they gone to the doctor. In the case of spiritual disease, people are judged because of the, their rebellion against God. Now, it might have been the case that they were saved from that by accepting the pardon that Jesus offers, but if they don't 
hear about the pardon, the grounds upon which they are judged is still their violation of God's law. And therefore, God is still just in judging them, even if they never hear about a pardon, as long as they're guilty. Does that make sense to you? Um, okay, well, I'll accept that premise, but if... If people don't hear about Christianity, then they don't know about God's law. And if they don't know about God's law, then they're still being judged according to a rubric that they, they didn't know about. Right, yeah. I would understand you? Yeah, that part you got wrong. I, we, I actually didn't specifically address a portion okay. of what you just said. People don't know about God's law by hearing about Christianity. People already know right and wrong because the law has been written in their hearts. Uh, I get two proofs for this. One is scriptural. In other words, that this is the scriptural teaching. You'll find it in Romans chapter 2. But Paul is just saying something that's obvious. Uh, that is that all human beings know the difference between right and wrong, and this is why they act out uh, moral behavior, concepts of right and wrong, that are lo- very similar across cultures, even though there's some variations. So people know right from from wrong. And in that same book, Romans chapter 1, Paul is making it clear that even if they don't have any special message about Jesus, they know from all that's been created that there is a God and that he's a, he, he, there's a certain, and that, and that, that uh, wrong is wrong and right is right, but instead of responding to that, they suppress that truth and then they do it because they want to live out their own autonomous uh, ways, which turn out in most cases to be evil, and he chronicles that a little bit there, but so it isn't so much that people are operating in totally ig- ignorance of God. It's what they, they want to do their own thing, and they go ahead and do that because they know the difference of right and wrong, but they choose to do what's wrong. And for that, okay. they're guilty. So, but the way that internal conflict between individuals happens to be, however you want to describe it, uh, the that people have a tendency of of committing sinful acts um, and, and by themselves. Yes, and so I think it, that's quantifiable, regardless of your religious point of view. Sure, uh, and that the only real way that you can be absolved of those sins is through belief in Jesus. Correct. Or okay. Yeah. So put trusting in. Yes, exactly. So, so a person even, who never heard doesn't have an opportunity to get a pardon. Is right. Yes, you're right. So, yes, that's so, true. So this is this is where I I, I, I have issue with hell mm-hmm. because if people that that have never heard about Jesus uh, they're effectively doomed to hell just given how human nature works out uh, they're gonna they're going to sin you know Jesus said let he who without sin cast the first stone right. knowing ahead of time hey everyone's here in this crowd mm-hmm. that's right so that's right. So it's it, not fair. <laughs> it, it's it's a rigged game. It shows it shows me as, as a rigged game. Well, it's it it's it's not a rigged game in one sense. People are doing what they choose to do, mm-hmm. and what they choose to do is to do wrong, and then they are punished for what they do wrong. Even in our own culture, we face the same thing. You leave God aside for a moment. People do bad things because they choose to do bad things, and okay. and we and we deem it appropriate to punish them for the bad things that they do, even if they have no opportunity for pardon. So when you look at the spiritual side, the same thing is being played out there, except for a pardon is made available. And I I realize that on the one hand, 
that it seems unfair. And, and I would have to agree that it is unfair. It is unfair to the people who get forgiven because the people who get forgiven do not deserve to get forgiven. They deserve punishment. People who get punishment get exactly what they have coming to them, no more, no less. People who get forgiven do not get what they have coming uh, to them. They get the largesse of God on their behalf, which he is able, certainly, to give as he wants. He, doesn't, he is not obliged to forgive everyone. He can, he can mete out his grace the way he wants. What he can't do is he can't punish the innocent. And that would be the case of somebody who really couldn't understand morality to begin with. So why I say it, it sounds to me like a, a great game is that uh, because of uh, geographical and, and cultural kind of uh, effects and uh, only a certain group of the world's population has ever heard about Jesus, and so everyone else is kind of relegated to hell. Yeah, I, I don't think it works quite like that, but I can see how it would look that way to you. Here's what I'd want to say, and, I, and I've mm-hmm. got not only I could point out biblical examples of this, but I could have real life, uh, I should say not real life, but I mean contemporary, because I think Biblical examples are real life from their sure. time. But contemporary examples of people who are in very um, in very uh, isolated circumstances who genuinely turn to the true God with a repentant heart. And God just, you know, pretty much moved heaven and earth to get the message to them against all odds. So I, my view is, and I think I can defend this from Scripture as being a sound view, but just so you you understand my view, my view is that anybody in these circumstances who is not willing to continue in their active rebellion against God, either through false religion or whatever it happens to be, but is willing to find to turn to the true God in repentance from their own sin, God will get the message that they need to bring their healing. They will not be left out of heaven just through an accident of geography. Okay. Um, but most people are not going to do that because most people want to do their own thing. Um. Well, let's. I, I think I, I've made a, a decent point on, on that regard. And getting, I'd like to get into kind of the specifics of hell, if I sure. could. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let me. Like, if I could just throw in something, I'll let you jump in sure. then. And that is that your your main complaint is hell doesn't make sense. And my main response to that is to say it makes perfect sense as a place in which justice is accomplished. And the only hitch in that regard is that some people don't receive justice, they they receive mercy, according to the kind intention of God's will. Okay. Uh, but there I'm, is certainly a continuity there. That that sounds that sounds nice. I, I, I like that. <laughs> so do <aspect>. I. <laughs> um, okay, so for, uh, for how long is someone sent to hell? They're banished from God's presence forever. Forever, okay. So do you know what a, a mole is in chemistry terms? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Avogadro's number thing, right? right. Yeah. Right. I, I, I mean, I can't tell you any more than that, but I'm just digging back into to, uh, junior year of high school in chemistry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the amount of, of molecules that can fit into a, a what, a something. What is that? Right. It's, it's the amount of stuff that's there. It's the number of molecules uh, to make the math work out uh, of units of weight. So Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. So it's a lot of molecules. That's it's a lot of molecules, right. Okay. And that so relates 
3.02 times 10 to the 23rd. 23rd. There, I, gee, you know, if you started with the 6 and paused, I could have given you the rest of it. 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd. There you go. Okay, so... So that's a finite number. Yes. Like, it's a really big finite number, but that's, that's still a finite number. Yeah. Right? It's infinitely so, so, small compared to eternity, though, or an infinite exactly. number. Yes, that's correct. So to, so to put it into context, um, a, a, a mole of water weighs 18 grams. Okay. Uh, someone that weighs, uh, a person that weighs 180 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, that's, uh, it's about 80 uh, kilograms. It's still, uh, right. Right. And if the, someone is 80% water, uh, you're looking at someone is made up of over 36,000, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, 3,600 mm-hmm. moles of water. Sure. Okay. So okay. what we're getting at is the propriety of eternal punishment for a temporal yeah. crime. Yeah. yeah. We, right. we have a finite amount of time here on Earth, and That's you're talking right. about eternal punishment That's right. for a finite crime. That's right. That well, means- well, it's not a finite crime. What you, it is a finite amount of time that we have. In other words, there are discrete, discrete moments of time in which the crime is committed. Whether the crime is a finite crime is another issue. I mean, that's almost a, a, it borders on a category error. But let me let me try to explain my response to this challenge, okay. uh, and it'll just give you something to think about. And we can maybe talk on another time when you call back, and we'll pick up the conversation. But sure. but let's end with this particular thought, and that is that um, as I've explained when people have raised this before, I ask them um, what, what do you think is an appropriate punishment for murder? And some will say capital punishment, and others will say life imprisonment, but it's it's a big punishment. Mm-hmm. But even if you take the lesser life imprisonment, I ask, how, does it long, how long does it take to kill somebody? Well, it takes a split, split second to pull a trigger. So it, it, you don't really figure out the amount of punishment for the crime based on the amount of time it took to commit the crime. That's a, there's a disjuncture there. They're unrelated because the gravity, the moral gravity of a crime is unrelated to the time it took to perform the crime. So um, if we think in this way, I've got a temporal act, that is an act that happened in time for a duration of time for which I'm paying for a non-duration, that is an eternal amount, that seems to be an inequity. But the, but the real issue is what is the nature of the crime and the gravity it, the moral gravity of the crime itself, unrelated to how much time it took uh, to, um, uh, to to perform it, and so if my if my daughters you know said something nasty to each other, well that would be bad, but if my daughters said the exact same nasty thing to me, uh, would you agree that it would be worse? Uh, I, I I would say I'm a, a more relativist. So I think everything. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So then you would not. So so the fact that that you're you're if you have a, a, a seven year old for a seven year old to slap your schnauzer, or the same seven year old to slap you, this is exactly the same kind of act. On your view, I guess it would, you'd have to say yes, since you're a relativist. There's no moral quality to either of those acts, right? Right. So, oh, okay. Well, then, then I, I, then I'm not going to be. What it's, I'm not going to be able to give you an answer that's satisfying. And what's right. curious about your question is, your question implies a basic injustice in the amount of punishment that's given in hell. But you're a guy who doesn't believe in the notion of justice as a moral good to begin with. 
So your question, are you just asking me in in light of my point of view, but certainly not in light of your point of view, because you don't believe in justice to begin with. So (laughs) eternal, I I mean, as a moral good, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you just told me you're a relativist. Right. And justice is a moral good. I, I, I think this conversation is going to carry over onto another break. Well, we'll ha- maybe. Well, we'll just probably. Actually, I think I'm way over time as it is. But why don't you make your your parting comment here, and then we'll we'll pick it up in another time. How's that sound? All right, that that sounds great. Um, so the reason why I called, uh, I, I think this gets to the question of your question. Is you you stated before that uh, opinions uh, and that that philosophy matter, uh, viewpoints matter, I- ideas matter. That's correct. Right, I- ideas matter. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, in my understanding of morality, uh, that is, is self-constructed. Um, I want to see everyone treated fairly because that kind of, that makes sense in, in my mind. And you can sure. okay. it's I got flavored you, by, you know, uh, divine insight or however you want to call it. But sure. Well, I, it would I be like you because you're subjectivist. So that's, that's your view. Okay. I got it. Right. Fair enough. Um, you want everybody to feel fair. So you're you're emotionally troubled that somebody would have a different view than you do on the one <laughs> hand. Yet on the other hand, you're a relativist, which means intellectually you're acknowledging an equal value to other people's view. So it sounds to me like you're acting a little bit like a, an objectivist when it comes to morality because other people are not acknowledging that you care about your little moral equation when they have their own moral equation. So well, does that make sense not- what I'm saying? And that makes sense what you're saying, but that's not really what I'm what I'm getting at. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm communicating to you uh, in in the language that you understand. If I was going to have a this conversation right. with another moral relativist, like we'd have a use entirely different language. Well, you wouldn't have a language. You would not have a conversation <laughs> like this with another moral relativist unless right. you're just reporting autobiography. That's like saying, you know, I like uh, chocolate ice cream, and uh, the other person said, yeah, well, I like chocolate eclairs, you know, uh, or uh, uh, rutabagas or something, and that's all you'd be okay. doing is reporting. Okay. So. Uh, your actions, your ideas, and and what you're spreading, uh, I I take moral issue with that, and so it yeah from within I'm, your system. I if I can do things to help the people around me, which is uh, say that it's okay for you to be gay, say that you know it's okay for you to live with the best intention that you have, and if mm-hmm. you happen to not believe in a particular deity, that's sure. cool too, as long as, as, long as you're, you're functioning well within the society, sure. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah, that's interesting autobiography you're sharing with us, but, I, <laughs> it, but you're not giving anybody any reason to take anything that you've said at all seriously. You know, why should anybody else care what you like and what you dislike, okay? So what I'm going to do here, Ian, I, I guess yep. I, I, I got the last word on you here, but, but you, got a, you got a good closing comment. So let's just leave it at there. We'll pick it up from there in the future. Is that all right? That sounds great. Thank okay. you very much. It's a pleasure talking to you. And you. All right. Thanks. Nice Bye. Yeah. And uh, we got to run to break here. Back with more here on Stand to Reason. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, John, and I, Robbie Lashua, are available both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule us today. We can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics 
gender issues in science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read our bios and learn more about the topics we cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, John, or me, Robbie, today. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. Have you seen our brand new website? Stop by str.org and enjoy a fresh, clean layout with all the same great content. The new Standard Reason website was designed with you in mind. It has an easier-than-ever navigation and a crisp, simple layout so you can find all the sound analysis and careful commentary that you've come to expect from us. Browse new features that make finding your favorite resources easier than ever. As always, it's our goal to equip you, our fellow Christians, with a confidence clear thinking, and courage you need for every encounter you have as a Christian ambassador. Our new website is just one way we're fulfilling that goal, allowing you to access the resources you need in a new and improved way. So visit str.org and keep coming back to discover new podcasts, articles, and videos each and every day. Hello, Ian. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. I feel honored you went to break early so you and I could talk. <laughs> well, we, so we I have to say that we have, I think, genial and interesting conversations. And uh, so I thought I'd just because uh, you have thoughtful challenges as an atheist. And I, so would you can still consider yourself an atheist? Yes, in fact, we're going to talk about that. In All right. So and you said last week that I made you sad. Was that you last week that? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you're feeling better. <laughs> I, well, I'm feeling better this week, and I got it was just going to be a regular lazy Sunday, and then I had to go and turn on the internet. Oh machine and man, I just ruined your day. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> Into the conversation. Okay. Uh, so I was I was watching some of the the lectures that you had uh, of you on that happened to be on the internet. There's like a number of things on mm -hmm. YouTube of you giving lectures. Right. Um. And you presented probably the most compelling argument that I've heard. Not, I mean, you were reciting it. It's, it's an old argument, the, the cosmological argument for yeah. the existence of, of God. Right. You know, the universe is here. What's up with that? Yeah. Um, with that, that's a, a very 
<laughs> a very simplistic way of putting it, but that's all right. I can go with that. Yeah, what's right. up with that? Uh, um, why is something here rather than nothing here? How how does one explain the existence of the universe as an effect? By the way, that's really a key part here, as right. an effect, because all effects have causes, and the coming into existence of the universe is an effect. So the question is, what is the cause of that? So the cosmological argument is probably the most compelling argument that I've heard for the existence of God. Yeah, thank you. I, I think it is a very powerful argument, and it's powerful in virtue of its simplicity, even though cosmological sounds like complicated. It's basically a Big Bang needs a Big Banger, <laughs> to right. put it well, simply. Well, all these things have names, and you know, it's nice to be able to parse them out. Yeah. Um, so my question then is, okay, the universe is here. What's up with that? How do we go from we need a first cause to uh, the God of the Old and then New Testament? I mean, because to me, it seems like we're a couple steps removed from there's there is a big banger, whatever that is, however you want to interpret that, right. to getting to the Bible of the Old Testament and then the New Testament. Yeah, well, the co okay, the good question. The cosmological argument is not is not intended to get you quite that far. But I think here's what you can do with the cosmological argument. Given that the universe uh, came into being at some point in the past, uh, and here we're talking about the universe or the world in its largest sense, all the, the material world, maybe universe is a better word because the word world in philosophical realms when you say the existence of the world, it could entail things that are not material. But on a materialistic view of things, there's only the universe and time, matter, energy. So this continuum, um, this all came into being at the Big Bang. So whatever it is that caused the universe to come into being cannot be made up of that stuff that came into being at this time. So uh, it would have to be something immaterial because it was prior to the material universe. It would have to be something atemporal because it was prior to the creation of at least of, 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 of physical time history. And it would have to be something powerful enough in order to, uh, in order to accomplish this end. So what we're trying to do in, in, in kind of a classic, classic scientific sense, not enlightenment scientific sense, but in a deeper sense, classic sense, we are trying to just do an analysis. We are looking at an effect and we are looking at the nature of the effect in order to determine what would be an adequate cause for that effect. So far, I think it's fair to say it would have to be whatever it is would be timeless immaterial and powerful. Now I'm going to add another qualifier on here that would have to be necessary and um, it's going to have to be something personal and there's a reason for this and that is there are two kinds of causes in the universe that we know of. When we look at cause-effect relationships there are there are two types of causes and they may might be be characterized this way. I'm going to put some labels on it for the sake of discussing them. There can be event causations. That is something A, some event A is caused by some prior event B. Um, okay. So it, or some, 
some of that B was caused by some fire event A. You, that's well, whatever, yeah. however you want to label it, yeah. is as a, there are there are events that cause other events. Picture sure. of, of a string of dominoes falling. You look at any individual domino, and you ask why did that domino fall? That's the physical event. Well, there was an event that happened before it that caused it. I'm but, with you. But of course, you see that it seems legitimate whenever you have an event causation to ask, well, what caused that event? And, well, it's the domino before it, however that domino is construed. I'm just using it as an illustration for physical things in the universe. And now you can see very quickly, if you keep asking what caused that, you're going to fall into a vicious regress regress if all you have is event causation. But the thing is, we, we have more than just event causation. We are aware of a different type of causation, a causation that actually initiates and doesn't need to be caused itself, and that's called agency or agent causation. Persons, okay? So so you called me, <laughs> and now we're having this conversation. It's a whole series of events that you, Ian, initiated as an agent. The things weren't happening before you made a choice that then resulted in a series of events which we can explain up to your choice. But then when I ask, well, what caused you to do it? And the answer is nothing caused you to do it. You initiated the series of events by your choosing an act of your will. And that's the difference between event causation and agent causation. Agents can initiate strings of events. Events can't initiate anything. It's just responding to what happened beforehand. It it happens, and then it influences other things down the line. So given these two possible kinds of causes, we realize that an event cause is not going to be adequate, an adequate ultimate explanation for the, 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 the beginning of the universe. Because if there is some event that resulted in the universe, then it's fair to say, well, what caused that event? And then what okay. caused that event? And what I'll finish the thought, and then I'll let you respond. Sure. Because some, I know you're right with me, but some people may not. So, so then you would, if it's all events stacked up, you are caught into a vicious regress, and there are problems with having an infinite series of events, one causing the other. I, I don't have to get into that now. A better explanation, eventually you're going to have to get to some uncaused cause. You're going to have to get to some agent. And so I'm going to argue that the best explanation for the beginning of the universe is something incredibly powerful that is immaterial and outside of time that is personal. And that's pretty close to the God of the Bible. It's not all the way there, but we've really covered a lot of ground. And I think that the cosmological argument, like the arguments, and there are different versions of them, but those can get us really close to the God of the Bible, somebody like the God of the Bible, though it might be somebody like the God of Quran or you know some other powerful atemporal deity. But um, I, I think that gives us a lot of progress. Okay. Your turn. So it, it, even if I grant the the first four criteria, all uh, uh, immaterial, uh, outside of time, very powerful, and uh, it is a a Personal being, a personal being. Yeah. Um, e- even if we grant all those, that still only gets us to kind of, at best, a, a kind of a deist perspective. Yeah, of, of course. Of a god. Right. Uh, or, or even just kind of like, oh, well, I did it. Like, whoops. 
you know, like, okay, there's the universe. I'm going to go back to my day job now. Like, Oops. Oh, that's yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. Just for fun. Oh, didn't yeah. like that one. I'll try another one. Well, no, the, I am admitting that you're right, that the, co- the cosmological argument doesn't get you all the way to the God of the Bible. But that's like me. To, here's a parallel. That's like me taking a, a jet to New York City. And I, you know, I, the jet's not going to take me to Times Square. It's going to take me to Kennedy or something like that. I got to catch a cab to get to Times Square, but I'm a whole lot closer. Okay. And well, that's kind of the way I would use this argument. To, well, tell me about the cab ride thing. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's a, I'm missing. That's, well, right. no, you're not missing anything. You've assessed it, I think, quite accurately that it is reasonable minimally it's reasonable to to conclude and we're not asserting here we're concluding based on the evidence that a timeless powerful immaterial personal someone of course that would be a being who is someone that's what it means to be personal is responsible for the beginning of the universe that makes a lot of sense now who is that someone precisely is it the same one that is recorded in the bible that is a different question and now we're going we're covering the much smaller distance from uh, from Kennedy to Times Square than from Los Angeles to New York City. All right. I'm talking about the, the, the cab ride. This is what I want to hear. Okay. Well, uh, we, you want to deal with that issue now? Well, I I was kind of presenting to you that I wanted to hear about the cab ride from oh, the get go. All right. Well, then the question then the question becomes uh, a fair question: is Is there any reason to think that this God? has a personal interest in the universe, in us individually, maybe, and has attempted to, and has communicated, I don't want to use the word attempted, and has communicated with us. And this then uh, at least uh, initiates plausibly a, a look at some of the theistic, uh, the broadly theistic, deism would fall into here, of course, but, but in other words, the personal creator kind of religions, and that narrows it down by the way. Now, if this God never communicated to anybody, well, we're just kind of sunk. But there are three religions that are classical theistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and, uh, and Islam, that claim that this God who has created everything has actually communicated. And now you have to deal with those claims on their merits. And in the case, it's curious, kind of in the case of Islam, in the case of Judaism and Christianity, they share a revelation. And in the case of Islam, Islam, the, the Islamic re- revelation, the Quran, actually acknowledges the legitimacy of the Christian revelation or the Jewish revelation. So all of the theistic, revel, uh, the theistic religions that are really in play at this point all, all give acknowledgement to the authority of the Bible in some sense. And so then it becomes a matter of looking at that record – and seeing if, in some sense, this is this can be taken as a reasonable characterization of God's revelation. Whether you think it's inerrant or not is a different question as far as I'm concerned. But I think there are a no, number of reasons to take it seriously. And I think that some of the, at least some of the ways that atheists have disqualified it have been specious because they have not looked carefully at some of the, the some of the, the the particulars or the rationales of the things that they find in the Bible that they don't like. So um, so it comes down to the revelation of the Bible. I I I think that's a big part of it. So your the the major criteria for why why is this God different from all other gods is uh, 
we, we get the Bible. That's the, the bedrock of the argument, yes. Well, what I'm saying is we have to ask the question of whether uh, we have good reason to believe that this God who seems to be indicated in the creation has communicated to us in some way. And this puts the Bible front and center. And then I think we have to then take assessment of the Bible and be careful not to dismiss it in specious ways. I think the fact that the Bible has been a book that has been a, a massive boon to civilization um, across the board where its principles are advanced and obeyed um, is a significant um, credit in favor of the Bible. And I think it's very interesting, even in this, what you've suggested to me to listen to, for the Bible tells me so, this is a pro-gay Christian assessment of the Bible. Why would why would any homosexual want to go to the Bible at all if they didn't think there was some reason to take it authoritatively? There's an implicit acknowledgement that the Bible is worth taking seriously, which is why I think these folks want to argue from the Bible as best they can, because it's an acknowledgement that there's some authority there, and they think the authority's on their side. Well, so I don't need to go to the Bible to be all right with where I am. Uh, they're in that world. They're in that community, so that's what they go to. But I, I so, so chemistry and alchemy they're describing the same types of things. Mm -hmm. One just happens to do it better. Well, one is maybe does it accurately, and the other one's inaccurately, and that's the question you have to you have to ask yourself when it comes to the scripture. Is the scripture is the 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 the, the biblical books are they giving an accurate characterization of history or not? And um, I mean, that's where we're at right now. So this is progress. In my view, this is huge progress. Now we look at the book. The problem is, is people don't like what they see in the book. I'm not saying this is your case, Ian, and I got to go here. You can hear the music. I'm not saying uh, uh, the problem is that they don't like what they see in the book, and so then they dismiss it. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's false. So there you go. Ian, great talking to you again. I'm Greg Kogel for Stand the Reason. <laughs> 